I'm Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm at Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Today's guest is Eugene Volokh. He's a professor at the UCLA Law School. He's considered a preeminent scholar in First Amendment. His opinions are regularly sought from mainstream news outlets. He is the writer and editor of the blog, The Volokh Conspiracy, and that is hosted by the website Reason, which is an online magazine. Professor, welcome to the show. Uh, great to be here. You know, you are, you know, and when it comes to First Amendment law, your opinion is sought frequently by a lot of different outlets. And I recently saw a news story from the New York Times where you talked about free speech and social media. And one of the things that caught my eye about the story is something that I had been thinking about in what we do about free speech in the, in the social media setting. So when we think of social media, we feel like it's our personal online platform to shout. You know, it is the town square of the modern age. We don't go down to town square when, and shout what we want the people to hear anymore. We, we go to the town square of Twitter, the town square of Facebook, Instagram, all these social media websites. And if we have a concern, we can shout that concern out about our government, about our boss, about whatever we want, the politicians, you know, the, the issues of the day, we shout it out from social media. But what we're seeing here today in today's day and age are people that are being silenced on social media. Famously, just recently, Donald Trump was silenced. And it makes us a little uncomfortable when we see this. A lot of us, we, if we don't like Donald Trump, we're perfectly happy that he's silenced. But for those people who have concerns about civil liberties, maybe we're uncomfortable. And it also makes us uncomfortable because you know, the social media has been instrumental in our democratic, uh, the, the democratic institutions, a lot of different movements got, got a start on social media. Um, the Arab Spring was highly influenced by social media. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was highly influenced by social media. In fact, it got started there. Trump can even attribute his success to to social media. And so we see when content is limited on social media, we feel like the First Amendment is under attack. So let me ask you the question. Is it even legal for, for social media to eliminate a speaker, to just take them off the platform? So the answer is yes, it's legal. But then there are, of course, some follow-up questions. Should it be legal? Could it be made and should it be made illegal for the social media? 
platforms to do that. So first, um, the First Amendment the, starts with the word Congress. Congress shall make no law. It was originally understood as applying just to the federal government. The 14th Amendment has been read as applying the First Amendment to state and local governments, too. It starts with no state shall. But nothing in the Constitution applies free speech principles to private entities. You, if you don't want uh, to uh, invite somebody to dinner because of what they said, or if you want to kick them out of your house because they said something over dinner, you can do that without violating the First Amendment. If you want to fire an employee, uh, for what the employee said. You can do that uh, without violating the First Amendment if you're a private employer. Um, and that's because most of the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment is the same way, the Fifth Amendment, most of the Constitution, like the First Amendment, applies uh, only to government entities. Uh, but then there's the follow-up question of uh, should Congress or should state legislatures enact new statutes that limit what private entities can do. So just to give an analogy, if an employer fires you because of your race, uh, that doesn't violate the Equal Protection Clause because that too only applies to the government. But it does violate, generally speaking, uh, federal and state anti-discrimination laws because Congress and state legislatures have generally said we're going to apply this rule of non-discrimination based, based on race, we're going to apply it to private entities. Likewise, in many states, not all, but in many states, um, uh, employers are not allowed to fire their employees for at least the employee's political activity, which includes political speech, especially, although perhaps not only, off-the-job speech. Uh, so in my own California, for example, there's a statute that says no employer shall uh, uh, make or enforce any rule uh, that uh, 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 forbids, employee, uh, forbids employees from engaging in politics. And that's been understood as covering a wide range of political speech and not just related to elections. So likewise, one question that sometimes comes up is, should there be federal or state statutes that require uh, social media platforms to not discriminate against the users based on their user speech, not ban users based on what they say. That's an interesting question. Let me push back on you on a couple of these issues, but let me first start out with, I understand exactly what you're saying. And, and a lot of people I don't think really do. And the reason why they don't is I think it, it doesn't seem true. So I agree that so that the First Amendment isn't that you don't violate a person's uh, free speech when Twitter shuts that person down. I agree with that. But it doesn't feel like it's true. And the reason why it doesn't feel like it's true is because that's our new town town square. That's where we shout out and say what we, we feel. That's where they set it up. When we got started with Twitter, this, that this is for you, the people. Well, I can see how people might feel like there ought to be rules that require Twitter to um, act as the town square and not ban people from the town square that the government couldn't ban from the real town square. I that's a good argument. Uh, there are good counter arguments too, but uh, it's just not the law today. 
I don't make the law. I just report it. And I can report to you uh, that, uh, in fact, it doesn't violate the First Amendment for, for Twitter is, to do that kind of thing. And the reason is because the First Amendment says Congress. Right. It's partly because of the text of the First and the Fourteenth Amendment. Right. And partly because that's the way courts have interpreted it. And also partly because that way courts have avoided really difficult questions like what about private homeowners who are deciding whom to invite to their party? What about a newspaper that decides what to allow in its pages and whatnot? Um, what about a small law firm that says we want to be the Republican law firm or the Democratic law firm or something like that? And if the First Amendment applied to everybody, not just the government of private entities, it would apply to all of that. That would sharply restrict our freedom to associate with whom we want. So that's what, so that's another reason why courts have been pretty militant about uh, uh, enforcing the so-called state action or government action limitation uh, for the, uh, as to the First Amendment and leaving it to state legislatures and to Congress to make decisions about which private entities should be covered. So far, th um, those legislatures haven't required platforms to be even-handed or to be non-discriminatory as to viewpoint in whom they allow, uh, although some state legislatures are beginning to talk about that. Now, one of the things that you said that I wanted you to expand upon is in certain circumstances, the government says, yes, private individuals, you must allow certain types of speech. One example you gave was in the context of political speech in the workforce, that you can't be fired for making political speech in, in whatever workforce. Another example that I've seen is if I want to unionize, I can't be fired for attempting to right. unionize. So is that a good idea in the context of social media? Should we say, should, the, should Congress say to, to Twitter or to Facebook, no, you will allow these types of speakers. You will allow this, this type of speech or all speech. Should they do that? Well, so that's a very interesting and important question. I don't know the answer to it. I've been thinking some about it. I'll probably need to think about it for a long time about it. Um, uh, so I, I don't want to claim that I have an answer. I do think there are some things that we can keep in mind while we're making these decisions. One is we do have a longstanding tradition in American law of private property, that private property owners are generally free to decide what to allow on their property. That if, uh, if you own your home, you can put up what signs you want and not other signs. If somebody says, well, it's not fair, you have this campaign sign in your window, you should put up the rival's campaign sign. You could say, well, I don't want to support the rival. Likewise, if you're a newspaper publisher, uh, you're entitled to publish what you want. If you're a bookstore owner, you're entitled to sell some books and not others. That's, I think, an important part of our private property rights. Um, at the same time, especially when a business becomes so influential, so important, so much as a practical matter, a near monopoly in its niche, as is Facebook, as is uh, Twitter, as is perhaps Google, as to YouTube, uh, at that point, um, there's a plausible argument that it's bad for public debate to allow these large, rich, uh, politically unaccountable uh, 
um, uh, uh, companies to decide which candidates can talk, what kind of speech they can engage in, and the like. Uh, and uh, uh, one could say that if one cares about the marketplace of ideas, democratic self-government, they um, the danger from such very large companies, much larger than any individual newspaper, uh, or even than the uh, uh, um, than the broadcasting networks, the danger from them is almost perhaps as large as the danger from government control. Not quite as large, maybe not even almost as large, but still large enough for us to be worried about. Uh, so that's the that's the real tension here, and I I don't know what the right way of resolving it is. I don't I don't either. I'm uncomfortable with a um, I'm uncomfortable with just a no holds bar social media where anything goes. Um, but I'm also uncomfortable with picking winners and losers. You could not win a political campaign in today's day and age without Facebook and Twitter. I don't think you could do it. It's how they reach out to the average person. You, you know, the it's how they get solicit campaign contributions. It's how they get their message out. It, it's how they distinguish themselves. I don't think you could win without Facebook or Twitter. And so they have this monopoly on speech in many respects. And so you, I'm uncomfortable with with saying no no you can't you can't uh you can't be on our platform on the same token there are a lot of bad actors on the platform uh, there's a lot of bad people who do bad stuff and say bad things and you know and and by that i mean dangerous things like let's get together and kill someone i don't want that type of speech i can is it possible for the government to craft maybe some rules. So the answer I think is probably no. I mean, some rules it could, like for example, if it's really a matter of people saying, let's agree on killing Joe Schmo and let's discuss how to do it. That's already a crime. It's called conspiracy. Right. Conspiracy to commit murder. Uh, likewise, if I post something saying, I want people to go and kill Joe Schmo, that might be solicitation to, to murder. Uh, so the government already criminally punishes that. Uh, but I take it you're talking about a broader range of dangerous speech, like people kind of praising violence, praising revolution. It could be right-wing violence. It could be left-wing violence. It could be uh, attacking the Capitol. It could be uh, burning down a police station because you're upset about police brutality. Shouldn't there be something done to stop that? And the answer is the government can't do that. Private platforms can. One question is, what if the government says we're going to um, uh, we're going to require private platforms to host everybody because we don't like this viewpoint discrimination on their part, but we're going to have an exception for people who advocate violence or advocate revolution. Right. That I think is probably unconstitutional, or advocate terrorism. That is probably unconstitutional. I think the government can either say, look, it's your private property, you impose whatever rules you want. Or alternatively, it could say, uh, you have to be at least viewpoint neutral in your decisions. You, you maybe could come up with rules saying no spam or maybe even no pornography, but you can't come up with rules that say, you know, if you express racist ideas, then in that case, you're going to be banned, whereas other ideas are going to be allowed. Uh, now, um, 
Uh, one way of thinking about it is we ha we have in our mind, minds, I think, a spectrum of different how different kinds of communications businesses are treated. At one end is a newspaper or a magazine, to take an example of something that's often quite frankly opinionated. Right. Not only do we allow them to select what to publish, we rely on their selecting what to publish. If you subscribe to the New Republic on the left or the National Review on the right, you do that precisely because they include the things you want included and exclude the things you want excluded. Um, and in fact, it would violate the First Amendment to require newspapers or magazines to be viewpoint neutral in what they publish or to publish even handedly because their right uh, to speak includes the right to make editorial judgments. Now let's look at the other extreme, telephone companies. If I call the telephone company to complain and say, you know, this guy down the street, he's a Nazi and he's trying to organize Nazi um, uh, Nazi rallies. And don't you want to kind of have nothing to do with Nazis? I think you shouldn't have anything to do with Nazis. Cancel his phone service. The phone company would say, we're not allowed to cancel his phone service because we're what's called a common carrier. We have to serve everybody. I mean, there are classic exceptions, like we don't have to serve people who can't afford to pay. Uh, or, or who are maybe attacking our uh, uh, um, uh, our uh, uh, service people or something like that uh, when they show up to, to, to put the lines in. Uh, but uh, uh, we're not going to pick and choose based on ideology. Uh, and that's true in part because a telephone company with landlines is a monopoly because they Many cities, only one company is entitled to put up the landlines. But even for cellular services, where people could come up with their own cellular networks at considerable expense, there's still common carriers. And are we upset that, you know, when there is a riot, often people planted by text messaging, often people planted by phone lines. Back in the day, people might have done it over landlines or over the post office, which also has to carry everything. I think right. our answer is on balance, it's better if telephone companies and the post office have to treat everybody equally, even if that means we forgo some possibility for controlling dangerous forces, whether they're communists or anarchists or uh, anti-police extremists or pro-life extremists or pro-Trump extremists or whatever else, better leave all of them free to speak than to try to suppress them by giving the post office, or, which is a government entity, or telephone companies, which are private entities, the power to say, you're a dangerous person. We're just not going to allow you telephone service. So if you think the platforms are more like a newspaper or a magazine, then you might say not only should they be free, maybe they have a constitutional right to be free of these kinds of government regulations, free to choose whom to allow on their platforms. But if you think they're more like a phone company, then uh, uh, then you might say, well, they should be common carriers like a phone company. Yeah, you know, this is really interesting to me because this that this concept of it's like a common carrier, it, it seems like, and it does, uh, it, it did resonate with me that by Twitter and Facebook banning certain types of speech, and we see, or we see that if someone put on Facebook, uh, something that Facebook deemed to be untrue, whether or not it was untrue or not, but Facebook s said, I don't think this could, this is true. 
Facebook would put up a little banner. This is a disputed fact, or they'd have some sort of censuring going on there. Or, But um, it becomes then more like a newspaper where this Facebook is editorializing, essentially, the content and moderating the content on their platform. And the same with Twitter. It, it's antithetical to how we view Twitter, or how we view Facebook, which is our own little domain, our own, own little place to shout out to the world. But I don't know if I'm also fully comfortable with some of the other uh, bad stuff that happens. If we look at the radicalization of certain types of people on the left, certain religious sects, certain uh, people on the right. That starts with the social media. A lot of times it starts with the websites. So, um, so I, so I think that's right. Uh, uh, and uh, that's a danger. It's a danger of, of speech, a uh, danger of free speech. Um, I'm not sure though that on balance, allowing these platforms latitude to restrict that even in the interest of the public good is is a good idea because then they could restrict all sorts of other things too uh and uh, you know i'm skeptical of of powerful entities that's true certainly of the government which has immense power but mm -hmm. also of these kinds of not monopolies over speech as such but still near monopolies in their own particular niche uh, saying, oh, well, you know, this speech is too dangerous, we're going to ban it. And again, that's not the model we've taken with with um, uh, with uh, phone companies. Uh, probably every conspiracy, at least before there was the internet, had to involve the phone line somehow. Uh, and I, I think we'd say, you know, that's something that's a cost of having phone service that's uncensored and not subject to the to the whims of whoever it is who runs the phone company. Um, and now I should also mention one important thing. Um, we're talking here about possible rules that say Twitter, or Facebook, you can't block someone. Right. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, if Twitter or Facebook don't block someone, but just say, when I, we see this post, we're going to come up with our own response. That is pretty clearly their free speech right. So I think that any attempt to tell Twitter that you can't put up your own responses or you can't single out certain viewpoints for your own counter speech, I think that is unconstitutional. That would violate their First Amendment rights. But I'm not sure that they have First Amendment rights to just say, we're going to delete your account. Maybe there's an argument that they do, that that is akin to a newspaper's power to say, we're not going to publish a particular um, uh, article or a bookstore's power to say, we sell only these kinds of books and other, not those other kinds of books. Uh, but I think yeah, there's at least a re at least a very strong argument that in this respect, uh, um, uh, the platforms are more like the phone company, more like the post office than they are like uh, uh, a newspaper or even a bookstore. Okay, let me ask you. Uh, switch gears. Parlor. Parlor had this no holds bar policy. We're not going to moderate speech. We don't want to moderate speech. We want you to say whatever you want to say on our platform. And they hosted their platform on on Amazon's uh, Amazon servers, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And Amazon decided we don't like Parler. 
and no one else is really hosting them and it shut them down. Could the government say that if a, a platform for social media cannot be denied? Yeah, I think that that's especially so. That if it were to say, look, hosting companies can't discriminate based on viewpoint, or at least hosting companies can't discriminate, that is to say, the companies that provide computer services. They really are the, like a phone company or like a cable, cable system. Uh, and they shouldn't be able to block either either individuals based on their viewpoint or companies based on their viewpoint or perhaps limited to social media um, uh, networks based on their viewpoint. Yeah, I think that's something that the government can do. Again, it's not that different from the way the government has handled infrastructure before. By the way, common carriers historically have not just been phone companies. There have been things like transportation entities. Uh, which uh, which have to at least certain kinds of them have to carry material equally and not say oh well we don't like you whether because you're you're involved with our competitor in some respects or because we don't like your politics so at some point something becomes sufficiently infrastructure that I think it becomes legitimate for the government to impose these kinds of common carrier obligations on it that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea it with any government action, there's always there are always unintended consequences. There are lots of situations of regulations that have done more harm than good. Uh, uh, so, so that's one reason I'm still not settled about it. But I wouldn't, as a matter of principle, somehow rule out the notion that Amazon Web Services uh, uh, or WordPress, which is a common blogging software, just use an, an example of some other platform, or for that matter, Twitter in its capacity as a platform or Facebook as a platform should be viewed as a common carrier, should be viewed as similar to a phone company. Let me ask you another question, and this is a bit of a political question. When you have this topic discussed and whether or not Twitter should get rid of different speakers, you know, deplatform them if they say, as they say. The politicians say, darn it, we need to reform section 230. No one ever explains what they really mean. I've read section 230. I have no idea what they're talking about, how that's somehow going to make people get back on, you know, it's not, I don't see how that is going to put Trump back on Twitter. What are they talking about? Can you tell me? Oh, sure. So there are so there's a federal statute, which is Section 230 of the, the telecommunications volume of the United States Code, which is happens to be Title 47. So for, right. full citation 47 USC Section 230, often just called Section 230. And it has two key provisions. The first one happens to be called 230C1 says essentially i'm oversimplifying here and i'm also telling you how courts have interpreted but let's just say it says that uh, platforms and other online content and service providers are not liable under state tort law uh, under state libel law under state privacy law even under certain federal laws are not liable generally speaking for what their users post so just to give an example, I run a blog. Uh, it's hosted on the Reason magazine site. 
let's say somebody, and I'm sorry, and we post, my co-bloggers and I post there, we're law professors, we write about law, and we allow comments. And there are all of these comments by commenters. And let's say that some commenter says, Joe Schmo uh, is an embezzler. And then mm-hmm. Joe Schmo sues me and says, you are hosting this blog that has this comment. I say, 230C1, I have no liability. And the courts say, absolutely, no liability. Reason, uh, uh, if he sues Reason for hosting this, they also say 230C1. Courts say, no liability. If they sue the commenter, well, then in that case, the commenter would be held liable, assuming this, yeah, the, the commenter could be found. Maybe the commenter doesn't have money. That's 230C1. And that's one reason we have comments on our blog. And that's one reason that outfits like YouTube and Twitter and Facebook could exist or at least could have started up before they got all this money. Because otherwise, without 230C1, if they could be liable for everything that a user posts on their computers, then they would very quickly be sued out of business. They'd be done a long time ago. So when Bob Sewell tweets, Bob Sewell is speaking Twitter's not speaking, Bob Sula. Exactly, exactly. So that's 230C1, and that's a very important provision. And that helped make social media platforms the power that they are. Right. Facebook is the fifth uh, wealthiest company in the U.S. Uh, in a way that it, no newspaper or uh, uh, or uh, 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 broadcaster or cable network is. And that is, in large part, because they have this immunity. Is it a good idea? So it's an interesting question. On one hand, uh, now we're getting away from this question of of platforms deplatforming people uh, uh, based on the platform's viewpoint. We're talking about sort of the flip side. What if a platform says we want to have all these users? We don't want to police their posts for libel, let's say. How do we know what's libelous? How, How do we know what's false and damages someone's reputation? We don't. We want our users to be there. Uh, with 230C1, that means that a lot of people get libeled, a lot of people get defamed, they have their privacy invaded, and there's really no, no meaningful remedy for them because they can only go after the commenter or the tweeter who posted that stuff. And maybe that person can't be found, and maybe once they're found, they have no money and you can't get blood from a stone. Right. All right. So that's the downside of 230C1. The upside is if platforms were liable, then in that case, nobody would be able would uh, be willing to let you post there. If you want right. your Facebook page, Facebook would say, look, we, this is too risky a business. Right. You can imagine in between positions, some people talk about is notice and takedown, which is the platform isn't liable until they get noticed that something is allegedly libelous. But then if Facebook is told by somebody, oh, this post is defames me or my company or my nonprofit, um, Facebook will instantly say, okay, we'll take it down because the risk is if they don't take it down, they'll get sued. Whereas if they do take it down and they take it down wrongly, well, then they've alienated the person who posted it up, but that's not that big a deal. So the analog- the example that I often use for this is Scientology. It's an example of a very controversial organization that at least historically has been quite willing to sue over things. Right. So, so sci- the Scientologists, if there were no 230C1, they would quite reasonably from their perspective, whenever somebody posts something that could arguably be said to, to, to be defamation, they're going to send demand letters and say, you better take it down. 
and the platforms would, and it would become very difficult to criticize them or lots of other uh, entities, and, or including business corporations. So, so when I say that my boss uh, on my pot, my, my boss here, Paul, uh, hates puppies and eats kittens for breakfast, I could say that. <laughs> And Twitter won't be sued. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, although well, that that's an example of something that almost certainly would not be seen as liable because, uh, because hating puppies is not itself that bad a thing. Uh, uh, and eating kittens would pretty clearly be uh, 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 seen as uh, uh, exaggeration. Yes. Um, uh, so, so in any event... Um, uh, there's another provision of 230, though, and that's 230C2. Okay. And 230C2 says uh, that uh, platforms not only are immune for what their users post, that is to say they can't be used, sued for the, what their users post, they also can't be sued if they block a user from posting. They can make either decision, let the user post or block a user from posting. 230C1 protects them if they let the user post, protects them against lawsuits by people who are supposedly defamed or some such. 230C2 protects them from somebody who has been kicked off their site. Now, historically, that is to say over the last 25 or so years that the statute has existed, 230C1 has been tremendously important. 230C2 has meant almost nothing. Why? Because even in the absence of 230C2, it just doesn't violate the law for a private entity to say, we don't want your speech on our service. Generally speaking, even without 230C2, there's just no cause of action to be brought. You can't say, you're, I'm going to sue you for the tort of stifling my speech. That's not a tort if what you're doing is just saying you can't use our property to speak. But now, increasingly, some states have been talking about about passing state statutes that would impose common carrier-like or non-discrimination obligations on platforms. And 230C2 does probably preempt those statutes. I say probably because there's some arguments that 230C2 might be invalid as applied to those statutes. Those are long shots, but they have some possible force to them. But in any case, 230C2 is what protects Twitter's and YouTube's ability to deplatform, even when a state says we're going to pass the Arizona No Deplatforming Act, let's say. Interesting. Uh, so that's why 230C2 really is relevant to these kinds of debates, assuming that some states are going to be willing, as apparently some are considering, uh, willing to um, limit uh, platforms' discretion in this area. So the removal of T- uh, 230C2 would allow possible regulation from some other government actor. Right, especially states. Of course, Congress could just pass the Platforms Are Common Carriers Act of 2021 because 230C2 is just a congressional statute. So it would just preempt or repeal that part of 230C2. There would be some interesting, again, First Amendment arguments where they platforms could say we're not we can't be common carriers because we're like newspapers and bookstores. But again, I'm not sure that prevailed. But the real force of 230C2 is to protect against state uh, regulations of platforms. Got it. So every so often you get things like it happened with the Patriot Act. Like it became a stand-in in people's minds of all that's bad about right. what the Bush administration right. was doing in the war on terror. Guantanamo 
detention. Well, that just shows how bad the Patriot Act is. Well, the Patriot Act didn't authorize detention in Guantanamo. It, a lot of, it did a lot of things, but relatively minor things. And the major things people were upset were about were, diff, were about stem from different matters, whether they were right or wrong to be upset by them. But they didn't have anything to do with the Patriot Act. Likewise, um, the reason platforms today can deplatform you is chiefly not 230. In fact, it's very little 230. Uh, but maybe the reason they could deplatform you in six months from now, notwithstanding some new state laws that were might be enacted in those six months, might be 230. And the reason platforms have gotten so big and powerful and influential, and also the reason why people get as much free speech as they do on platforms, is because of 230. Eugene? Thank you for coming on my podcast. This has really been interesting, super helpful. And uh, your knowledge is obviously meant in the subject, and I really appreciate it. And my listeners will appreciate it too. So thank you for coming on. And uh, I hope to hear from you at some other point. Uh, Very much my pleasure. Very much my pleasure. I also want to remind all those law students out there who are listening, we have the scholarship competition. Check it out. It'll be an easy 1500 bucks if you win. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.